Oh my gosh. Is this the pop question that I wasn't prepared for? <laughs> I don't even know what to do. Hey, folks, and welcome to Brown and Out. Today we're talking to Glenn Herring. Glenn, how are you doing today? I'm pretty good. I'm pretty good. I am uh, just came in, so I'm, I'm good. Just got here. Came in fresh as a daisy, looking like a million and a half dollars. <laughs> oh my goodness! <laughs> Listen, Glenn, let's let's get right down to it. Sure. To the core of who you are. Um, you're a summer baby. Yes. Tell us what being a, a cancer means for you and your emotional life. Mm. Oh, wow. Okay. Emotional life. Well, I think the first thing people think of when they think of cancers is that they think people that are emotional. And I think that word is true. Um, however, I like to define it as emotionally connected. Um, because I feel like I'm connected to my emotions. I'm connected to other folks' emotions, and that's what helps me be emotionally expressive. Um, yeah, um, there's so much to say about cancers. We're intuitive. Um, we are. Uh, we get our feelings hurt, you know, and it it's a process of working through that. As you get older and you have relationships and trying to figure out how much do you show, how much do you not show. Um, I'm not sure if you're familiar, but our sign is the crab. So um, because so we have what, this. What does that mean? What's up with the crab? Well, I'm not going to sit here and proclaim to be the expert, but basically how I've interpret these things and based on a little research I've done is that um, I have a shell. And that shell means that it's easy for me to put up a wall. It's easy for me to appear like everything is fine. And on the inside, I could be just overwhelming with one emotion or the other. And so it's figuring out what does it mean to be vulnerable and how to find strength in my vulnerability, um, especially as someone who is emotional but yet still have this wall sometimes that they put up. Mm-hmm. Have you ever taken one of those um, tests uh, that that tests your strengths and weaknesses, basically like on a on a employment level? Oh say? yeah, yeah, absolutely. And what's so interesting about those tests is that they all seem to be fairly consistent with certain um, characteristics of me being a cancer. So I'll tell you about two particularly that I have encountered. And I think um, I kind of believe in them. And then maybe I'll tell you about a few others that are kind of silly. But the one that I think um, captures um, me uh, very well is True Colors. So the True Colors personality ass- assessment. It The color schemes are blue, gold, orange, and green, I believe. And so just as an overview, like blue is considered to be like emotional or emotional, emotionally connected, as I like to use. Um, Green is analytical. Um, I think gold, is it gold? Well, I'm going to talk about the two that show up for me, which is blue and gold, blue and green, because I've studied those two because those two are me. I've always been 100 percent blue. And green has been my second strongest, which is the analytical piece. And I think for me, um, it's about words that connect with you and how you show up in relationships and how you show up in the various different types of relationships or environments like in school, at work, in love. I'm a hopeless romantic, yet I've not been in many relationships, but I'm always um, fond of the idea of romancing someone or or doing, you know, rendezvous or trips or just doing something to let someone else know that you care about them um, and making it personal. Um, and so for me, 
Um, a lot of people realize for me that if you're going to give me a gift, especially my close friends, it needs to be either extremely personal or it needs to be expensive. <laughs> Glenn. Well, I'm just saying, I mean, it doesn't have to be expensive, but I mean, not a dollar store, please. Unless it's very creative, like, and then that makes it personal, right? So as long as it's personal or it's of value, I would say, not necessarily expensive, but of value. Mm. Mm-hmm. But yeah, so those personality assessments, I think those speak to who I am. The analytical piece is always secondary. First, I'm one who is very empathetic. Mm. I'm very um, caring about others. Mm. Um, and I think after I understand what your issue is, then I instantly go into analyzing the situation and trying to figure out how do we come up or negotiate with what um, what moving forward looks like. Um, so that's one that I've encountered. And Those every are true colors. Yes, true colors. <laughs> um, I think one is yellow. One of them is like, like emotionally like just a wreck and just like or is like very distracting one of them is called the distractor and i've encountered those people before and understanding how i operate from an emotion and somebody who's constantly trying to distract me understanding what does that relationship look like what does vulnerability look like in that or do i go straight to the analytical piece and the critical part of that relationship um it's helped me in so many relationships um, with folks, it's amazing. Another one I'd say is Strengths Quest. Mm. Have you heard of Strengths Quest? Maybe. Mm-hmm. Go on. <laughs> well, Strengths Quest is basically an, a personality assessment, and you take it. I want to say there's 20 or 30 something words associated in Strengths Quest, and you take it, and it'll give you your top five that um, resonate with you as a person. And my top five are positivity, strategic, connectedness, relator, and did I say communication? I don't think so. And communication, I think. Those are my top five. And there's others in there like, you know, um, maximizer or... And what is a maximizer? Uh, well, I'm glad you asked that. And I always say that because um, of all the other characteristics under the strengths quest, when I'm working with a maximizer, I know going into this relationship that I'm probably going to get my feelings hurt or I'm probably going to feel um, like someone is taking credit for something that I'm doing. Maximizers are people. They're not bad folks. It's not a bad characteristic to have. They see things and they want to make it better. That's their, and that's how they enter looking at something. So they always think, oh, if I change that, oh, if I do this, oh, if I do that. And I'm a cancer, you know, I'm Ooh. sensitive about my shit. So when I put something out there, yes. I want people to take a look at it first and appreciate it and not, you know, take it apart or make it better or and maximizers i have to learn how to work with maximizers Mm. and so the way i come into work relationships with maximizers is i'm always coming in with a draft it's not the finished product because if i come in and i think it's the finished product they're gonna take a look at it want to change it and that's gonna be personal for me so i'll come into that relationship saying this is just a draft let's take a look at it together how can we improve it? So if I start with vulnerability, yes. If I start with that vulnerability and I start That's your with cancer that, essence. I well, yeah, <laughs> I guess. So I think um, that's how that has helped me shape relationships a little bit differently. Looking at how people, there's one in, like an achiever. Mm-hmm. Um, there's one where there's it, it speaks to a person who doesn't really love to be involved with people, but just love process. And I'm all about people. Mm. Hence can, all the words, relator, I, communication, listen, connectedness. I feel mm-hmm. that hardcore. <laughs> um, what I was thinking of is I took one um, with, with some coworkers. We were on a, a retreat mm-hmm. of sorts, you know, um, a, a team building sort of mm-hmm. uh, outing. And we, we took one of these and... I got, um, I have a high capacity to love. 
Mm. Um, so that's something I care. And I feel like that's something you would score also really highly on. Mm. Like that's my take on Glenn mm. is that you have a large, uh, capacity within you to love, mm-hmm. um, you know, people in general. Wow. Well, I appreciate that. Thank you. I like to think of myself as that. Um, sometimes it can take a little bit to get there with folks, but I think I naturally always want, I'm always curious about people and connecting with them. And I think that just leads into me learning so much about myself and others and what that means for the both of us, you know. We touched on this a little bit when we just gave that that thorough um, rundown of um, some of your cancer tendencies mm-hmm. and some of your favorite personality tests. Mm-hmm. But so this might seem obvious at this point, but I wanted to ask, do you consider yourself a romantic? Um, <laughs> so a romantic, how would I say? Hmm. I'll tell you a word that resonates with me and that really warms my heart when I hear it. Um, And it was in college when I first ever heard this word associated with me. It's in that same line of like romantic. Um, It's charming. And you, you consider yourself charming or you like to be charmed? I consider myself charming. Mm -hmm. Well, so do I. Obviously. And I was in college. I was in, um, was I an RA at the time? I was not an RA. I was just in college, and I was with a bunch of my friends, and we were all sitting around in a room. Oh, in fact, I was an RA. That was the year that I was an RA. And so it was me, and because I'm looking in around the room, and I'm seeing other people, and I'm like, oh, we were all RAs. <laughs> so we were sitting around the room, and we were talking, having a really good time, and um, we started this game where... Uh, We'd all have to go around the room and agree upon a word that we would use to describe one person. And so when they got when it got to my turn and people were trying to figure out what word would we use to describe Glenn and the word charming came up and everybody like unanimously agreed. And at that point, I was overwhelmed. I'd never heard that word associated with me in undergrad because I mean, in undergrad, I was a bit of a. (sighs) I have to be vulnerable now. I was a bit of a diva. I was a little bit pompous. Because <laughs> I was a had musician. Had you built up crab-like walls? Yes, I was a musician. I mean, and I mean, musicians, it comes with some type of air. When you're, when you're young and you're new in it and you're, and you're singing to uh, wow people. And I think the older and the more deep and internalized the music becomes that's when you become an artist and you start to realize it's not about the lights the camera the makeup or the props and the costumes because I was in opera I was in theater it's not about all those it's about that moment that you spend with someone to give them a pure emotion um I wasn't there yet at that point Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. um But um, when I heard that word charming, it changed how I started to view myself in relationship to other people. And I started to lean into that word charming and say, what can I do to not necessarily charm everyone, but to show people and well, to walk away from a relationship with someone and they have a good thought about me or have Mm. a good feeling after they've left that interaction with me. And that helped me with my RA job completely. At first, I was giving rules. I was telling people, look, this is due now. (laughs) You do this there. You don't do that. And folks was like, get out of my face. Like, I was in Chicago. (laughs) So, I mean, and on the South Side. So, um, the way I was approaching people was not met or received well. Um, But once I heard that word charming and I started to realize I can go into relationships and intentionally uh, have a goal to walk away with someone feeling good about me. It changed how I did my job. It changed how I viewed myself. So yes, I'd say romantic, but more, but more charming. 
because I haven't <laughs> been in many relationships to be romantic. <laughs> but once you're there, you you believe in like flowers and dinners and candles and things of those natures and and sort of. Mm. Romantic gestures. I believe in romantic gestures. <laughs> those are examples of some, mm-hmm. but I would never just automatically do those things because I feel like if I just did it for you and I didn't know that's what you like, I feel like it's purposeless. Remember when I talk about myself, mm. I want the gift to be personal or of value. Mm. So I would want to do that for someone else, make it personal or of value or learn how they want to receive gifts. See, well, that all just sounds awfully romantic. All of that. I mean, there's so much care and thought given to the other person. Mm-hmm. You're a hopeless romantic. Just say it. Just say it right now. <laughs> but never mind. This is not this is not a gotcha interview. This is not <laughs> Okay, maybe I'm a bit of a hopeless romantic. I do cry at movies when it's like Oh, listen now, what was the last movie you cried at? The last movie I cried. Um, ooh, let me think. The last movie where I actually cried. Ah, oh, I just talked about this with someone. <laughs> Can you remember one of the actors' names? Oh, this is terrible. I. Why is my memory failing me? I don't remember the last. So I'll I'll tell you the last movie that I remember crying. <laughs> Please, how do. is that? Please do. I know it's not the last movie, <laughs> but I know a movie that did stand it's out okay. in my mind. <laughs> yes, which is jumping out, and it's gonna be sound so funny. But it's the um, is it the the B- Benjamin Button? Oh my lord! Yes, I cried at the end of that movie. Tragedy um, Hansen's in there. Um, yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, cried at the end. Yeah. Okay. Well, you know what I mean. Listen, the heart wants mm-hmm. what it wants. To see someone be in love with someone, it's a romantic story, right? See, from old, mm-hmm. from an old child mm-hmm. all the way up into, you know, yeah, and a, a very old baby. I don't know I, the yes. reversal of time and how he loved her throughout the various different times. And how she was just so in love with him throughout the course of his life, even though he was going kind of like in a reverse chronological order, but yet yeah. in terms of size, going in the opposite direction. Listen, so it was. It's a very special film. I cried. I cried. Thank you for being vulnerable right here and right now with me today. Um, mm-hmm. Enough to say that. Yeah. Because that's, that's huge. Really? That's big. Listen. Hmm follow-up mm-hmm. to that question would you say hmm, I wrote this differently than how I want to ask it <laughs> um, would you say that by and large we're living in a romantic era or is that like against the grain to be like a romantic like right now um no I would say we're not living in a romantic era. When you say romantic era, what do you mean era? Like time, age of like being a human being in right now? Um, no, I wouldn't say that. And I think that there are exceptions and I think that there are people that are exceptions and there are places that, you know, that are, you know, like the happiest place on earth and Denmark, all these <laughs> Okay, exactly. So it's like things like that. There's places. But I think um, from my U.S. context and lens, like what we're experiencing in this country is polarization. And so um, I think it's affecting us in such a huge dynamic way. Um, So I don't see the romantic (laughs) part. But I do find that... um, Folks will be, um, due to the polarization, this thought or that thought and those two clashing ideas, I do find that people are latching on to one side or the other 
through their common shared lens mm. and clashing with the other. Um, so I don't know if it's romantic as much as it's like that um, bonding over misery or bonding over a common idea that is opposed is is rooted in um, opposition and not rooted in love. So you and I, we both hate um, fascists. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. We can say that. And then we bond over that. But do I really know you? Do I really love who for you are as a person um, or is it just our common dismell for fascists that we bond and that's all we talk about I think it should be deeper I think it should be more complex and I think polarization doesn't um, allow for that <laughs> parachuting off of romance. <laughs> let's uh, let's talk about a love of yours. Mm-hmm. Music. Um. When, when did you fall in love, Glenn? Wow. I definitely think it was as earliest as I can remember. First grade. Um. I still have this image in my mind. I see my music teacher in first grade, um, beautiful, gorgeous, brown skin, uh, perfect afro, um, and uh, beautiful little dress she had on. And she's like, she has children going over here to pick up some instruments. She has some children over here. And we're learning the words to the song, even though the song was like, fa la 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 la. <laughs> And um, I just remember the sun shining. And that was my first, that's my first, that's what's ingrained in my mind is my first experience with music. Um, And um, it just warms my heart. I feel so nostalgic. And the fact that Mrs. Odin, um, maybe I shouldn't have said her name, (laughs) but her children and I, we also went to school together. So I've always been able to kind of keep up with them throughout a lot of my schooling because we went to the same elementary school. Uh, then at one point I left and then came back and we went to high school together. Um, and then we're Facebook friends. Um, Full circle. Yeah. But that was my first love for music. And that was where I first learned how to express myself. Music was my saving grace when I was a child. We grew up poor, poverty, black, south side of Chicago. And um, I thought that there was only one, that that's all I knew as a kid. But um, in music, I was able to be happy. I was able to be sad. I was able to be um, angry. I was able to experience a full range of emotions. Um, not as a child, but as I continued with music throughout my life, um, it's been a way that I've been able to express myself, which explains the cancer part, which explains the blue personality. You know, it kind of sums it all up. Back to your true <laughs> colors. Yeah. But uh, music and I have, we've been on a journey for a long time. It It started with that. And then it quickly shifted to instruments and me playing the trombone. Um, I remember I walked into fourth grade and they're like, you know, at that point I had to join band um, because I had to take a music class. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, And so I took band and I got there and I remember the band teacher, he walked up to me and he said, so what do you play? And I said, I don't know. And he said, hmm. (laughs) And he took a good look at me and then he handed me a trombone. I said, what the hell is this? (laughs) And I think it was because I've always had fairly long arms and I didn't realize that. And I have very long arms and you need long arms for the extension of the bell. So um, I I wanted to play like the clarinet or something, but (laughs) he put me on trombone and I kind of embraced it. Yeah, I played that from what? 
was that fourth? Oh, that was fifth grade, actually. Fifth, sixth, and seventh grade, I played uh, trombone. And then, your craft. yeah, and then seventh and eighth grade, um, I transferred, went to another school, um, and they didn't have band, they only had choir. And um, so then, so then I joined choir, and that was rough. It was rough because I loved singing and everything about like my friends and stuff, they all said I could sing, but at home. My family said I sound terrible. And I think that's because in front of family, I've always been the most nervous. And they never seem to really embrace the music thing for me. So that brought about even more nerves um, when I would get up in front of them and sing. But when I was in school, I felt like I could just sing and enjoy it. You know, just thinking about that little kid who was running around the classroom um, in first grade and playing with instruments and singing these songs with that music teacher, my heart is just joyous like that. It makes me think of um, Moonlight when the little boy was dancing and spinning around in circle in, in class or whatever and just being himself and being free. I feel like that little boy was me when I encountered music and that was who I could be outside of um, the family that I lived with. When will we um, ever hear the the Glenn album? The Glenn album. When is that coming out? You know what this this phase right now of my life is like Glenn's great return. So um, I um, stuck with music, you know, in high school because you know I could, and it was not a big deal. Um, I was in concert band all four years and my last year I joined concert choir and we like received all these awards and I competed in all these competitions. And then after that, I went to college and I was told that I couldn't go to college for music, that I had to go for something else. Told by who? Family. Yeah. Those family members is like, it wasn't like I couldn't go to school for music, but it, it was, was discouraged. It was more like music is not going to allow you to um, have a good living or make money or whatever. So I was, I was challenged to consider thinking about something else. So I tried psychology, everything I studied, I thought I had it. <laughs> And that didn't work out for me. So then I went and changed my major to music. And then I went and auditioned for Roosevelt Music Conservatory, um, downtown Chicago. And I did. And I got in. And I went there for a semester. Then it was too expensive. So then I transferred, went to Chicago State. And that's when I was able to just do everything I wanted with music. Um, I... Uh, I um, I uh, fell in love with music and I did it as a major and there were some aspects of it that was challenging like music theory <laughs> which is music because I always hear people taking that class and I'm like I don't know what the hell yeah they do in music theory class what do they music do? <laughs> theory is so well, obviously I told you I didn't do well in it so I don't know if I'm going to do justice in explaining it but maybe you'll do better it's a lot about learning the uh, learning how music evolved and putting chords together and um, learning all of the various different movements around music. Um, and, uh, and it's, it's the, um, it's the academic side of music. It's not the performance. It's like, um, the composer who sits down and writes a piece and knows that he's using these types of cadences and these types of chords and these types of, uh, you know, mix of this and that and, and knowing how it all works together, um, so it's not just, you know, grabbing a score and standing up there and just singing and hurling away. It's more of the creation of music. Mm-hmm. And I struggled. We had to take tests um, where I had to finish like 
different types of pieces of music. And then I had to explain what was happening in that piece of music. And I was like, what? I just want to sing. (laughs) So I, I don't think my family was wrong in saying like, don't go into music Um, because you won't make any money. But I think the messaging should have been, if you're going to go on music, know that if you're looking at trying to be a celebrity or a superstar, all of these things, this might not be the way. Here's what a degree in music would lead you to. And so I think um, I didn't, um, I learned that later um, and learned all of the other things you can do with music and that where music exists, somebody's getting paid for it on the elevator or on the phone when you press hold and there's a dun 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 dun. You know, it's music is so ingrained in so much that we do in society. So um, I learned a lot about that being in music then. And, and um, I did that for, I want to say, roughly 10 years. I started gigging after I graduated and what singing with different. Oh, no, no, no. We said what type of gigs? Um, so this is going to sound funny, but I was like my um, where my voice shined and especially being a little black boy from the south side of Chicago. It was singing opera. It was singing classical music. It was singing um, arias and ballad, you know. Um, and so, um, I, um, I'm sorry. The question was (laughs) what, what type of gigs were you doing? Um, Oh yeah. So I would get gigs singing for Catholic churches. Um, I also would get gigs, especially around like the Christmas time, like Christmas and Easter, I would make a killing. <laughs> I mean, because you could just find so many uh, churches or so many religious places that are just hiring musicians to come sing Handel's Messiah. By the way, I'll be singing some pieces this season. So I'll tell you a little bit about that later. But um uh, and just singing other type of Christmas music and Christmas songs. And I was singing with a couple of um, um, music groups and they would have gigs and they would have smaller ensembles and smaller groups of people. They would pull out for certain numbers and I would be a part of that. Um, so, um, yeah, it's so many people that I think have been involved with me as a musician and so many uh, folks, especially back in Chicago, which is my home, um, that have helped me and helped shape who I was and who I am today as a musician. And so, um, yeah, it's, it's been a, it's been a love affair. You know how some people say love, hate? It's just all been love and learning how to love again. And after going to school for a master's degree, that kind of made me take a hiatus away from music um, because I started a career and I said, well, everywhere I go, there'll be some opportunity to sing. And I have found a lot of opportunities to do some singing, but it just wasn't um, the like, oh, take off career in music. It was like great community theater aspect or great band or um, great choir that I'm singing with um, in local band or local choir or school choir or something for adults or professionals. So, um, yeah, it's always been that when I got into student affairs. And once I um, realized that my career is taking over, music dwindled a little bit. Right. And now I'm in a place now where I feel like I'm singing again um, with the Burlington Choral Society. Hello, shout out. Yeah, and it is bringing my voice back out. It's making me fall in love with music again. And I don't know. I think I'm not done with it yet. I'm still in love with it, and I think it'll always be a part of who I am. And I'm looking forward to see where this trip will take me. Hmm. Well, I'm really happy for you. <clears throat> I feel like it's clear to me your love of music, and I think the world needs to hear more of Glenn. I I want the EP. I mean, <laughs> I, roughly spring. Mm-hmm. Spring 2020. How oh wow, that's soon. Like EP. 
Five, six songs. Six songs. We'll see. Listen. <laughs> On a more lighthearted note. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Tell us about the work that you do at UVM. The work that I do at UVM? Wow, interesting. Well, I'm an assistant director of residential education. Um, I work, um, I've been working there almost a year. It'll be a year in about um, how long? Maybe um, a week. Okay, I think let's the get the 17th, December 17th, I think is my one cake. year anniversary. Let's get the candle, just one. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I've been working there for a year. It's residential life. Um, I work with students. I work with professionals. I work with staff. Um, We do a lot of work around um, um, creating experiences for students that help support the the academic mission of the university. And so um, by no way or any shape or form or fashion am I speaking on behalf of the university, but um, I think that's what we do. And um, I truly enjoy it. I think when you work on a college campus, it also keeps you, um, there's a certain um, just academic perspective that you keep. Um, and it helps me personally to always be involved with some type of research or some type of theory or some type of informed practice on how to build relationships, how to navigate across difference, how to problem solve, um, and, uh, and continue to build and grow in that. So, so yeah, definitely. (laughs) Did you always see yourself in academia? Um, I'll be honest. When I was younger, I saw my, I wanted to be a musician. And then I thought about, um, going back to school. Um, when I was, when I was realized that, I don't know if it's music or I don't know if I need to go back to school and get a master's degree. I was straddling both of those and trying to figure out which one to do. And um, I asked my uh, choir director at the time, um, Miss Stephanie Dixon, (laughs) God rest her soul. She, um, she told me, you know, she uh, basically told me that, you know, going back to school and getting a master's degree, no one can take that away from you. And she said, you'll always be able to know how to sing. And it resonated so deep within me. Um, and um, for that, I'm so forever grateful because um, I know I made the right decision. Um, and um, I think I know music will always be there and I'm, and I'm getting back into it now. Um, but if I did it without what I have now, I feel like there may have been something that would be missing. I wouldn't have been where I'm at. I wouldn't have experienced research in the ways that I have. I wouldn't have been able to write a thesis and go through that process, the blood, sweat and tears that I went through with that. Um, and so I think it, it overall just helped me as a person. I don't even know what the question was. I'm sorry. <laughs> no, it's just did you do you always see yourself in academia and it's mm-hmm. like yeah. Well. No, not really. I think it it came by happenstance. I realized I was so involved in undergrad. Um, I was an RA. I was chapter president for my fraternity. I was a welcome week leader, I think, at some point. I was involved with Student Government Association. So you were trying to win a prize or something? What was going on, Glenn? No, I think, so for me, being um, a first-generation college student, um, and I'm the oldest of (laughs) my brothers and sisters, um, I went to college, and I... got there. I had already experienced community college and I said, okay, that was okay. Wasn't what I expected. You know, it wasn't a different world. It wasn't all those shows that I saw about college life. So I was like, community college is, is nice, but it's not the thing. It's not what I've seen, not what I saw growing up. And so, um, when I got to college, uh, I remembered how I was in high school. 
and I was fairly quiet when I first got there. And then I kind of developed into like this funny guy who was also talented and, you know, struggled a little bit with grades, but made it through decently. Um, And I said, I'm going to take advantage of opportunities. I'm going to put myself out there. I'm not going to wait. And I think music actually gave me the confidence to do it because that was the first thing that I encountered that I stuck with for a long period of time where it built my confidence and it helped me understand who I was um, as a musician. Um, And I approached so many things like that, like trying to figure out what can I get involved when, what can I get involved in? How do I learn this thing? How do I connect with others? Um, And how do I um, truly just maximize this experience? Um, cause I've seen so many folks doing it. And then when you have friends that are doing it, it just makes it all more fun. Or even when you have people that are enemies doing it, then you try to go out for the opposite thing and beat them, you know, <laughs> where is the Aries in your chart? May I just ask that? Say that again. Where is the Aries in your chart? The Aries, it is my, um, moon. All right. So, yeah. It's my moon. I'm a Libra rising. Mm-hmm. Something else that I <laughs> wanted to um, touch on, something I know that you were interested in talking about, was um, being pan in your coming out experience. Do you want to talk about mm-hmm. what that was like for you? Hmm. Interesting. I wouldn't say coming out experience, <laughs> but how, I would say, how, how do I word it more eloquently? How, I would say the point in my life when I identify, I, I, um, I identified or came across the word pan and how that resonated with me mm-hmm. versus the confusion that I felt for so many years. Then, then, Please allow me to, to rephrase. Mm-hmm. What was it like for you when you first um, came across the term pan or pansexual? Mm-hmm. Um, it was a breath of fresh air. I was like, finally, something that feels like it fits me. Um, I grew up... Um, and I grew up and I, I think growing up, I felt my experiences was like I only learned about people that were gay or people that were straight. And it was like, well, if you're not gay, then you got to be straight. And then here's what that looks like from such a restricted binary lens. And then, well, if you're not that, then you got to be this. And here's what that looks like. And it's very, you know, very restricted point of view and lens that I was exposed to. Um, and, and very, this, this, this huge, just black, white, there was no in the middle. And I'm like, Hmm, I don't like playing basketball, but I like, (laughs) but I like music. (laughs) What what does that mean? Like, I don't like sports. Yeah. But I like figure skating and that's a sport. So it was like I was confused. It was it was like those lines weren't very clearly defined. So blurred for me (laughs) as a person. And so when I came across something that said, you know, you have the freedom to love people just for who they are and love them for their heart and and connect with them in, in in a deep sense. And it it's not restricted to a uh, gender it's not restricted to a sex it's not restricted to romanticism it's it's just whatever that connection is you have with that person and how you to develop that and how you to um um grow in that um so when i came across pan or omni or demi um any of those terms related to sexuality i was like ah oh, so liberating that I can just exist and I get the opportunity to interact with folks without this predisposition of a of some sexual orientation I'm supposed to assume mm. or or just take on because people have said that's who I am um and it was it was tough 
it was rough trying to figure that out. It, it, it literally took all the way up. And, and this is why I'm so grateful. I went back to school for um, a master's degree. I had the opportunity to do that. I'm so blessed um, because um, it was there when I started to research and started to learn what research looked like. And then I said, well, let me apply everything I'm learning about research to this area of my life that has been so confusing. And when I did that, that's when I became so I began, I, I um, got exposed to a lot of literature and research and a lot of things about gender and gender uh, fluidity and um, expression. And I was like, oh, wow. Yes. What? Where has this been? Oh, my goodness. And so, um, yeah, that experience led me to to figuring out something that fit me and and it just felt natural. Yeah, I never, ah, you know, I think when I was younger, I would always think to myself when I see people who just had an identity um, that I didn't have or I wasn't as confident in, I was like, how did they get there? Like, who told them? How did they know? Mm. And I think I felt like I, I didn't have that for a long time. And so as I searched in places and spaces, um, <laughs> um, I didn't find something that resonated with me. And that was the first thing that I was like, wow, it resonates, it fits, um, and it helps me understand myself. You also wanted to talk about what it was like um, being pan while traveling or living abroad. Yes. Yes, indeed. I will say that I lived abroad and I never, I don't know, I don't think I thought of, um, I wouldn't say I didn't think of it. I would say I didn't, um, Going to a different country is always interesting, especially when you go to a country like China, Mm. where (laughs) you hear like, oh, this is not a thing or blah, 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 blah. You hear there's such rules. um, Just having different gender identities and having different sexual preferences. It doesn't exist in China. I'm not saying it doesn't exist. I'm saying what you hear is that. You get a concept and Mm -hmm. it's very... You know that there's a there's not a lot of mm-hmm. different sexual expressions yes. allowed, not a lot of gender expressions mm-hmm. allowed. It's just like binary. Yeah, and these up. are the things that I heard and the messages that I heard. So going there, I was very cautious to say, you know, I don't want to think about that aspect of my life right now. I just want to go there. I want to meet people. I want to do my job well. I want to you know, make relationships with my students, you know, build them up. I work with adults. Um, and so it was, it was a wonderful experience. And when I got there, I was like, Hmm. Oh, so it's not talked about, but it's very much so here. (laughs) So for example, (laughs) I think, what um, did you see that let you, I think um know that there were queer people there. I I saw queer people there. I met queer people there. Um I think um uh there weren't many like establishments. In fact, I can only think of two. Um but um and even those weren't 24-hour places it was a designated night here there was one that was 24 hours but it was um not frequented as much due to some things that happened um in in the past couple of years with um with um someone of the lgbtq community um and it caused a big stir and uprising. Something happened. I don't know exactly what it was because I wasn't there. I just heard something happened. And so it wasn't as frequented um, as as folks would like it to have been. Um, but the bar and on that one night, 
um, it was frequented fairly well. And I mean, it was mostly foreigners, you know, bringing a lot of their friends um, and some of their friends were Chinese and things like that. So um, I saw it there. And then I think one of the things I noticed is my students would um, share with me parts of their lives um, from all different perspectives. It wasn't just that lens. It was just the whole gamut of their lives marriage, relationships, jobs, um, hopes and dreams, wanting to travel. They shared so much with me and sexuality was something that folks did share with me. Um, and I treasured that. I valued that so much. Um, and I, um, I created a class. Um, I had an opportunity. So, uh, we had our set classes that we would, um, teach. And then outside of that, we had something called life clubs and we would, and it was like, basically you create an experience based on student need and you would, um, make it as real life as possible, or at least give them a lot of tangible ideas about what it looked like to be in that situation in real life. And so I created a life club and it was called, um, at first it was called like something about like LGBTQ plus community or whatever. And I put it in and my manager's like, uh, you know what? We can't, um, have that. He's like, he's like, I'm not saying we can't do it. We just can't name it that. And I said, okay. Cause at first I got a little, I was like, Whoa, like you told me to create something. So, um, we called it, um, I think it was like gender expression or gender identity. It was something that was a little bit less, you know, those names. Um, and, um, that was fine. Um, and it was all just teaching them about what gender looks like, what sexuality looks like, what does uh, romantic attraction looks like. And all those things that I researched and that I learned about and sharing that and giving that to them, teaching them about pronouns. Wow. They were so confused. They were like, what? I mean, because in the Chinese language, um, he and she is the same sound. It's two different characters, but it's the same sound. So in class, many of my students, when they were switching over and they were talking, they were, you know, learning English and they were talking about their families or their partners or significant others. And if it happened to be like a man married to a woman, they would in English accidentally say, well, my wife, he, because <laughs> in Chinese, it's the same sound, but it's the, a different character. So, so when I start teaching them about folks can use they, them as a singular pronoun, and then, you know, Z and others, um, that's, um, used that people, um, go by, they were like, whoa, wow. So I put up like a little chart about it and I had them go around and just practice using different pronouns, um, not to, um, for, just for the sake of trying to help them understand that when you go out there in the world and you interact with other folks, um, and you might not be exposed to that, I don't want that to be your first time. If you're going to call me your teacher and you're going to ask me questions and you want me to help you navigate and see the world a little bit broader, I want to bring that to the classroom and help you have that experience and an introduction to it here before you go out. And it's such a stark difference for you from which from all that you've learned. And so um, it was one of my most well attended classes. It was always packed. Yeah. Um, I'll also say that um, there was so many times where I would be out and just being a foreigner and being a black man, people would do so many, not strange things, but funny things. Like we're just, there's this game they would play, folks would play um, and they would bet one of their friends to go up and like kiss a foreigner or something. And so, and it didn't matter it, it, sex or, you know, perceived gender didn't really matter. It was like, Hey, you go kiss that, the black guy. 
<laughs> as a joke or a game. So I'd had some people come up to me before and was like, can I kiss you? And I'm like, um, sure, on the cheek. <laughs> so I think um, there was a lot of situations like that where it was like, I didn't, it didn't, luckily it didn't reinforce what I saw or heard or thought coming there where I saw people being a lot more open and a lot more friendly and a lot more silly and and playing around in different environments, you know? Um, So it wasn't like what people think, you know, when you live there. And I also named that I lived in a place that was way more um, LGBTQ plus friendly um, in China. So, um, that's also a thing too. Glenn. Yes. One of, um, the last times that we hung out, you cooked for me and I had the privilege of, um, (laughs) tasting an original creation by you. Can you tell us a bit about your passion for cooking? Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think it touches back on that charming aspect of me and that romantic aspect and and that I love being around people. Um, and so I remember when I first graduated from grad school and I got my first job in student affairs and it was my first full-time job in what I like to call my second life. <laughs> and I was like, wow, I know what I did before grad school. Cause I went back to grad school at 30. So I'd had many jobs before I'd worked full time. I did all those things. Um, and so trying to redefine what my life looked like moving around from university to university at different places, meeting different people, um, cooking just became a natural way for me to connect with folks and staff that I worked with. And so I just started cooking and I started following, um, chefs on YouTube and, um, and some blogs and, um, Oh, the food network. I think people thought that my TV was broken, that it only had one channel and that was food network that's all I watched. I watched the Pioneer Woman. I watched Ina's Garden. I watched uh, Sandra with the um, the semi homemade um, meals. Um, I watched it all: Chopped, um, Cutthroat Kitchen, um, the Champion Bake Off things, Iron Chef, Iron Chef, yeah. So I watched all these shows and I just learned so much about flavor. I didn't realize that cooking is scientific. It's like putting together like the right amount of this and the right amount of that and mixing and pairing flavors and and developing flavor. I was like, oh, my goodness, this is like learning. So I just I just fell in love with it. And I think I did it out of love. Because that was how I was showing my love for people that I wanted to connect with. So I I, I studied so many recipes because um, I wanted to perfect it and I wanted people to enjoy it. And it would be the a great way to break bread with folks and just learn more about them. And so I've had some friends. This is hilarious. I've had some friends <laughs> that have said like, if if you had one last meal to eat, who would you want to cook it? And folks would say, I love you, mama, but I need Glenn to cook me a meal. <laughs> um, And I really take that as, you know, that's like, wow, thank you. I appreciate that. But, you know, let you, your mama cook. <laughs> you might cook better than my mom. I don't, I don't really mind saying that. I don't really, that's not really controversial. Oh my goodness. <laughs> so I've had people say that before and it's so hilarious, but, um, but now that I'm settled here 
in Vermont, I'm starting to cook more and more like I invited you over to cook um, to try my recipe out of beef tips. And um, I just enjoyed making that meal. And so I'm making homemade pizza now. Yeah. Spoiler alert. Yeah. So if you want some. Hello. Mm-hmm. That's an open invitation to any and all listening. Not not any and all. <laughs> Might not be that much to go around, but yeah, I'm really into it and getting a little fresh dough. I don't make the dough. I just get it fresh from like, you know, Trader Joe or somewhere and roll it out. You don't have to tell everyone. Put on my own topics. You don't have to tell everyone your secrets. But, but I do want to know. If you have any other hidden talents you would like to speak about. Other hidden talents. What will I say? Other hidden talents. So I, the ones that are not hidden is I cook and I sing and I like to think I'm a bit of an intellectual. <laughs> um, a hidden talent. Hmm. I would say for a hidden talent, I would say I think I don't know. I I hit I don't know if a good listener is one. Um I am a really good listener. Mhm. I love to listen to folks tell me about themselves and as much as I love to talk, I think I've developed <laughs> an ear for listening and hearing and remembering. Um, yeah. And definitely YouTube. Like, I am a YouTube, like... So, here's the funny thing. I do not have the confidence to have my own channel on YouTube. Or to do any of those things. Even though that's like in my secret mind, I would love to have a YouTube channel. I don't have it, but I live through so many other YouTube like folks. Like I am on YouTube sometimes, like three or four hours in the middle of the night. Like following people, catching up on their stories, listening. When I lived abroad, um, when I had uh, turned on my VPN <laughs> and I had access to YouTube, that's how I still kept up with what was going on in the rest of the world. Um, so I just really, really became like this big YouTube follower. I'm the biggest YouTube follower. I follow almost everybody <laughs> and, and have subscribed to so many channels. Um, and so I'd say that'd be my hidden talent. Yeah. I know how to make myself, I know how to combat anything that I'm feeling through YouTube if I need a good laugh, I know exactly where to go. I know exactly the people I'm going to pull up, what I'm going to look at. If I want to, you know, see something romantic, I know exactly where to go. If I want to listen to celebrity gossip, oh, I baby, I bet you I know exactly where to go. You know the channel to, get, to yes, subscribe. Mm-hmm, to get all the celebrity gossip that helped me still stay connected. What does black and brown queer culture in Vermont look like? to you Glenn okay that's a that's a bit of a question <laughs> well I would say that um, um, being here in Vermont I remember so vividly coming here I remember very clearly uh, coming here last year um 35-hour travel time from China straight here to Vermont, a place I'd never been, um, a part of America that I've never been to, um, and being like, wow, I'm back in America, but this is nothing familiar to me, but at least everybody's speaking English. <laughs> and I think it reflects the state. I think, you know... Um, I think Vermont's like, what, the second whitest state in the U.S. only to be beat by Maine. And I think they flip a couple of, I think every couple of years or so they flip who's first or who's second. Um, and I think that reflects that. I think um, 
the the few times that I went out to some of the um, um, some of the outings or socials, um, it's been very white. Um, not many people of color, and just like I told you before, like the term pansexual and how I identify with that, and how so I don't really fall on. I I, I kind of go with my heart. Um, that it doesn't always lead for me. It doesn't always lead for me to wanting to go to spaces like um, uh, an LGBTQ friendly, whatever space or something. It 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 doesn't naturally lead it lend itself to that for me. I realize and understand the significance and the importance of it. Um, but for me, it doesn't naturally lead to that. And so, um, yeah, I would say it's not like how I've experienced it in other places where it's a lot more diverse, where there's a lot more robust history, um, and more of a presence. Um, so, so yeah, I think it's a little bit, it's a little bit challenging here if you're a person uh, who identifies as brown and out um, in Vermont. Yeah. When do you feel most brown and out? I think it's when I'm with the people who I know are my good friends, like you. Um, I think it's when I talk to my friends on the phone, like, and when I, when I think of the term like brown and out, I think of when I can just be Glenn and just be me and it's with people that I love and I care about. Yep. And I feel that it's reciprocated. Mm hmm. So I don't think, you know, now that I think about it, I know <laughs> it's not now that I think about it. I know that a lot of people don't know that aspect of me. Mm. Um, and I think it's important that, um, that I share that, um, because, um, it's a part of me that's, that I wrestled with and that has resurfaced over and over and over again. You know, it's that thing that never goes away. That question that's always asked, and I'm at a point now in my life where I'm where I'm clear about who I am and I'm comfortable about who I am. And I want to make sure that others around me feel just as comfortable in expressing themselves. Is there anything else you'd like to, to add? Mm. Just one question. Oh, for me. Ah, yeah, for you. What does this podcast mean to you? This podcast <laughs> um for me means a way for myself and others to express ourselves honestly. Um comfortably freely with purpose and the purpose is to share that um with others and i really really enjoy doing it wow mm, thanks thanks for sharing that you're welcome Thank you, Glenn. Thank you so much for coming and talking with everybody today. Mm, thank you. I appreciate it. <laughs>